Welcome to Tips from Trestle. This podcast is dedicated to discussing the senior living industry with a unique focus on food, hospitality, and leadership. I'm your host, Aaron Fish. As a 25-year veteran of the hospitality industry, I've focused my work on creating exceptional experiences for the customers we serve. My goal for this podcast? Educate, inform, and inspire leaders in senior living to bring food and hospitality to the front of mind in our industry. Let's bring the innovative and passionate spirit of hospitality to everything that we do. For the residents, families, guests, and employees we serve each and every day. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it. Today on Tips from Trestle, I'm speaking with Liz Ecker. Liz is Vice President of Branded Content for Aging Media Network, the parent company of Senior Housing News. SHN is a business-to-business publication covering topics relating to senior housing and care. Liz previously served as editor of Senior Housing News and has reported widely on topics ranging to aging and the care continuum, including finance, construction and development, operations, technology, healthcare, and dining. Liz, thanks for joining me today on Tips from Trestle. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, thanks. So the reason we're doing this is we were at a conference uh, a few weeks back, the Navigator Leadership Summit, and you gave a presentation talking about uh, senior living dining trends. And I found what you found in your in your research really fascinating. Um, you know, you created a white paper collaborating, you know, Senior Housing News and, and Navigator GPO uh, to kind of go through that. And I wanted to talk to you more about those trends because I think they're really um, important for our listeners to know about and, and to make sure that they understand kind of where, where things are going. So um, I appreciate you coming on. And first, I'm curious how you go about getting all of this information. I mean, it's such a big industry and so many different people doing different things. Yes. So um, we gather information through a couple of different ways. Um, The senior housing news team reports widely on the industry, of course, and dining is a pillar of their coverage and our coverage. So we do a lot of interviews with people in the industry to find out um, and get a pulse as to what is going on. Um, Also, we have content from webinars to um, surveys and different things. And um, in those kind of avenues, we interact with our audience again to gather information. So part of the presentation, part of the research was more based on interviews. And then part of it was also gathering insights from a survey that we conducted among our audience that included input from um, roughly 100 folks who identified as operators or owners of senior housing. Yeah, and this isn't the first time you've done this. I know that you guys have done this kind of going back quite a few years. You've created this information on dining trends. So um, how long have you guys been doing that? Um, I think starting in 2015, we did some more, um, did like a deeper dive into dining, including some site visits and lots of interviews. And again, lots of audience um, surveying to gather some of those insights. And then we've revisited some of those same topic areas um, every couple of years since then. Yeah, I always find that information fascinating. I think you guys have a really good pulse on on 
who to talk to and what that information is. So, um, so let's just dive right in and let's start talking about the trends. So um, you identified in, in the white paper in your presentation kind of five big trends that are, are really kind of uh, front and center for operators right now. And the first one was the return to comfort foods. So, you know, I, as an operator myself recently, you know, I comfort food has always been there. It's always been part of it, but I think, you know, there's been a shift and I'd love to, to know more about how that one came about in your conversations. Yeah. Um, so it's been a really challenging time, of course. And I think prior to the pandemic, a lot of our conversations focused around introducing new types of cuisine, new styles of cooking to residents. And um, time and again in our conversations now, kind of where we are in 2022, when I asked that same question about what residents are excited about or what their, what their preferences were um, over the last couple of years, uh, the operators said again and again that, the, that residents were requesting comfort foods. And I think just purely as a reflection of all of the un unstable times that we've been through, lots of change, lots of, you know, unpredictable things happening in our world. Yeah. So it's been nice to be able to return to things that are um, known and comfortable and not be kind of experimenting as much as in the past. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, one of the things, you know, I was looking at trends from like the, the restaurant industry um, and they kind of had a similar, you know, what was one of the trends they had mentioned, but I was curious in, in who, when you were talking to people about that, were, were they experimenting with, you know, different flavor profiles or was it really truly a return to, like the comfort food of old, you know, meatloaf is meatloaf, not let's try and put some spin on it to, to, you know, elevate it. I think more of the latter and just not going outside of the comfort zone as much, again, providing something that's more stable um, versus experimental. And I think um, Senior Housing News actually just had an event this week focused on dining our annual or um, we hadn't had it in a couple of years because of the pandemic, but, um, typically an annual event called dished. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, what we're learning is people are excited to get back out there again and start offering some more exciting things. Um, now that, uh, we're returning or hopefully returning to something more normal. Yeah. I would think that, you know, the entire mindset of not just operators, but, you know, residents and people looking at senior living is kind of returning to, okay, this is what we're ex we would expect in a normal setting. And so now we, we want to start seeing more of that and, and get to that. So, but I, I think you're right. I think comfort foods are, they're never going to go away. I just think that um, it's interesting that that is uh, front and center right now for a lot of operators. Yeah. And we asked the question when we conducted that research that I mentioned, um, the survey that we did, of operators. And uh, we asked the question, you know, to what um, level do you agree with the statement comfort foods are preferred today relative to pre-pandemic um, with respect to residents? And mm -hmm. roughly 39% of people um, that we surveyed said that they agreed with that. So I think that just gives a little kind of um, data to that trend. Yeah, no, that does not surprise me one bit. So um, let's talk about the second trend that you came across, uh, in unit dining rises. Um, and I think obviously when we were in the middle of the pandemic, 
and, you know, everybody was, you know, being, we were quarantining communities, we were trying to, you know, keep distance and social distance, and everybody was, in, you know, or was serving meals in apartments. Um, and you would think that now that we're transitioning out of that, that maybe that would, would wane, but that's not what you guys found as you were doing your research. Yeah, so while many venues and most venues seem to have reopened, um, what operators have reported to us is that not everybody is returning to the dining venues that they were um, dining in in the past. So basically, uh, um, the idea is that people got really accustomed to having in-unit dining, as we all did kind of rely more on delivery services and having our groceries delivered to our homes and that kind of thing. And so um, operators said that they're seeing uh, a, a sustained rise in demand for in-unit dining. Mm-hmm. And that was something we heard um, at our event this week as well. So um, we asked the question from the research, have all available in-person dining options reopened across your organization? And 83% said yes. But then when we asked the question, um, how do you foresee the popularity of in-unit dining changing relative to pre-pandemic? Um, many said that they expect it will have significantly more demand going forward. So I think 34% expect it significantly, significantly more demand. Um, and another 22% said they expected in-unit dining will have somewhat more demand. So, um, yeah, that's more than half who expect that there will be some elevated demand for, for in-unit dining. I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned how all of us, you know, even those of us kind of out here in, in the real world had to do more kind of that, you know, Uber, DoorDash kind of, you know, service. Um, is that something that you feel the operators are going to see a carryover as they start getting more and more of the these younger residents, these older boomers, if you will, start to move in their communities? Is that kind of what they were looking at? Um, in terms of wanting things more on demand, I think that aligns with, yeah, what we're, what we've heard about other, um, you know, other preferences among residents for whatever the service may be. Um, there are some interesting models out there. I know there's one organization that, um, we've heard about that is an independent living organization and they do all of their meals delivered through a third party, um, Mm -hmm. rather than offering the dining services on site. So that's sort of a different model. Um, and that's more, again, independent and sort of active adult, but, um, yeah, I think with the rise of all of those delivery services, um, you know, it's kind of, it offers flexibility, which is something that we hear a lot about in terms of boomer preferences. So that definitely aligns. Um, and I think just on another note, the operational challenges involved with doing um, that type of service more um, is, a, is a big consideration. And you probably have a lot of experience with this, but just in terms of how do you staff for that type of delivery? How do you, um, you know, how do you plan your um, delivery around the different consumables that might go into it, such as, um, just the materials involved in delivering in unit versus something in the dining room. And so operators have said that while they were using a lot of disposable items at the beginning, then they had to go to more of like a hotel model of things that could be reused, um, and were more sustainable as they kind of worked through that. 
Yeah, I know in some conversations as as we were going through the the, the pandemic and, and kind of looking at how we did service, I had a lot of conversations with peers about they started with, you know, disposable wear and then as that became harder to find and there were issues with getting it, they really started to transition to a more permanent uh, kind of serving operation, whether it was, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, washable plastic or the full room service model. Um, you know, I, I think early on it was, we got to have disposable because we just don't know what the virus is doing. Um, but I think exactly. as we learned that, you know, it was more, uh, you know, transmittable person to person and not necessarily by surfaces that kind of definitely transitioned uh, to more of that uh, permanent type of, of service. So, um, yeah. So another, you, another I'll just say another interesting thing I think is um, the ability to host guests via in-unit dining. So instead of going and enjoying a meal with family or friends in the dining facility, it's um, actually delivering like a family style meal that the residents mm -hmm. can enjoy with their guests in their unit. So that's a different thing too. Yeah, no, I, you know, I gave a presentation right after yours where I kind of talked about opportunities and that was definitely one that as an operator, I, I, I kind of emphasized was, you know, taking advantage of those family visits because yeah, I think some families are still hesitant maybe about being in those group settings, but going in, into the, the resident apartment and being able to have that service is going to be huge. It's an opportunity for, for revenue generation for, for operators, definitely. Absolutely. So, um, you'd mentioned having flexibility. And so that's the, the third trend that came up in your research is menu flexibility becomes critical. Um, I'm going to guess this has to do with supply chain, but there's probably more to it than that. Yeah. So um, when we asked about top challenges among operators, supply chain continues to come up. And I think during the pandemic, it just, um, you know, there were all different types of things that operators could not get, whether it was specific items not being delivered as ordered or entire orders not showing up when they were supposed to, um, or going back to some of those disposable items that were being used for service, not being available, lids, different types of paper goods, all of those good things. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was kind of the, um, the foundation of this trend. And then just the need to be flexible again, where things are unpredictable. And so um, we talked to operators who told us sort of how they were weathering that storm. Um, and I'll just share one of the questions that we asked in the research was, to what degree are supply chain problems impacting your dining program? And this um, survey was done in March and April. And as of then, 54% said supply chain problems were having a moderate impact on dining operations um, with another 30% saying they were having a serious impact. So, wow, and I'm so sure you hear that from your customers yeah. as well, um, that it's still a big challenge. Yeah, and, and one piece of the, 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 the white paper that as I was reading through it that I found really, kind, you know, makes a lot of sense and, and I've always kind of emphasized, you know, communication with residents on all of this was something that kind of popped out um, because I know that the, when I've worked with operators and when I was in operations myself, the biggest struggle would, that I would find is if residents didn't know 
that always cause some sort of conflict and complaints and dissatisfaction. But the more communication, typically we found residents were just as flexible and understanding about where we were at in the situation than not. And so um, I thought that was interesting that that came up in your research as well. Yeah, we definitely heard. Um, I remember at least one person was sharing with me just some ways to um, just build in a little more kind of margin for error. If you're not sure what the like soup of the day is going to be, then calling it soup of the day rather than stating on the menu what it's going to be, for example. Um, but absolutely, certainly communicating whatever those hiccups are with the supply chain with the residents so that they understand that, you know, it's not in your control and this menu item is out today or just isn't available. Yeah, it, it's amazing to me how forgiving and understanding residents can be if they know, right? They, most of our residents have been professionals. They run businesses. They, they understand the challenges. And just knowing what's going on is seems like over half the battle sometimes when it comes to that. Right. So um, the, the, the fourth trend that came up in your research and in the white paper, um, operators get creative. And so I think there's some, some interesting findings you have there. So I'd love to hear more about kind of what you found when you were talking with them on that. Yeah, so this was largely in response to staffing challenges and how difficult it has been to um, keep dining roles filled. And, and what we learned from operators is that they're continuing to have challenges both with recruitment of and retention of dining services staff. And so one of the things that many people said in response is that they are taking a more universal approach to the workforce and actually mm -hmm looping in other people from the organization to help with dining service delivery as needed, um, just if shifts are not filled or people are calling out and that kind of thing. Um, we've also learned about some creative strategies um, around training to help retain and um, kind of incentivize the workforce. And that's probably not unique to dining services, but you know, just taking an approach to career paths and developing uh, more of a path for staff to hopefully be able to keep them and engage them over time. Were those career paths when you talked to, to the operators, were they, were they broadening across not just the, the, the food service operations, but was it across the senior living spectrum of positions? Because I know that's one thing that, that I speak about is, uh, when you're trying to bring in hospitality professionals to senior living, which is really kind of the, the, the background uh, that we want when we come into to a food and beverage operation in senior living, we wanted them to see that it's not just, hey, you come here, you can be a cook. And then if you want to grow, you've got to go somewhere else. Like there's opportunity to become more than just that. Or if you see you're a dining room manager, but maybe you want to get into activities or be an executive director, um, those opportunities obviously are there. Were operators focusing career paths and, and training and development along those lines as well? Um, well, the people I spoke with were mainly from the dining services side, so I can't really <laughs> speak more broadly to everyone in the organizations, but obviously it's something the industry has been largely focused on just in terms of, again, retaining and recruiting from other industries, like you said, whether it's restaurants yeah. or hospitality. Um, one kind of interesting thing that we heard from a few people was just 
that sort of ebb and flow and ability to recruit people at the beginning into dining services when all of the restaurants around them were closing was actually mm. much easier. Yeah. But then as restaurants reopened, then there was a lot more competition for those same types of jobs. Um, and then just, you know, people who have left this workforce and have gone elsewhere. So um, that definitely continues to be a challenge that we're hearing about as something that people are just not expecting to go away anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I hear it all the time. You know, I do think we have an opportunity to kind of maybe, I don't want to call it rebranding, but I think there's a, you know, definitely there comes with senior living dining operations. There's that there's an institutional thought somewhere out in the general population. And that's not what we do, obviously. Um, and so I think as we, we, you know, those operators start to get more creative and think about how they, they recruit, I think there's ways to, you know, get the professionals to understand that, hey, senior living is not what you think it is. It's very much what you're wanting to do. Um, and so, um, it was interesting, you know, I'm, you know, kind of looking here at the paper that, you know, 67% of, of the people you talked to, uh, reported a moderate, uh, staffing shortage. Um, and obviously this is within the last, you know, 45 days or so that you, you did this research. Um, has that come down from what you maybe have seen earlier or is that kind of, is it still kind of the same where it's been over the last 18, 24 months? Um, in or the conversations <laughs> that we've had, even this last week at our dished event, people are still saying the severity is just as bad as it has been. So unfortunately, I think it's still very, very challenging. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think there's opportunity there and, and hopefully we can, you know, move, uh, move some people into the industry and they start to realize what we're, what we're doing is, is not your, your old senior living. So the, I want to talk about this last trend because this was something that um, as I was, you know, I initially wrote, I wrote a, a blog post in January and I, I identified like three trends that I thought were coming in senior living. And I was really excited to see this one in your research as well. Um, the guest meals in ghost kitchens, uh, the opportunities there around what operators can do with this. And so I'm curious to hear what you heard on that topic. Yeah, so I think um, ideas around driving revenue have been talked about for a while. Um, it's easier said than done, of course, mm -hmm. but I think the idea here is making the most of operations, you know, where you're delivering a dining service at different points during the day, but you may have to staff it through those gaps in the day. And so how can you utilize the operation to provide something else that might be um, in demand during that time? So um, whether that is, you know, creating meal kits for residents to prepare in their units with guests or for themselves and independent living, if they have a kitchen or kitchenette, um, or the family style meals or offsite catering or onsite catering, which I think has been something that we've seen a lot of success with in the past, all of those ways to, you know, utilize the dining service operation um, in other ways, not just for those three meals a day. Yeah. When in your research, you know, this was one area when, when I, when I talk to operators and when I do presentations, I, I, the employees in senior living for me seem to be a huge revenue opportunity. Um, especially because when you look out in the market, right, you, 
you can't run through the drive-through for less than 12, 10 or $12 these days. Um, and I think there's a huge revenue opportunity there. Did you have operators mentioning employees uh, as part of this kind of meal program opportunity? Yes, we've heard of a few that are um, working to provide to-go meals for employees that it may not be a huge, you know, revenue driver, but at least sort of utilizing and providing a service or providing something that staff can take away with them if they're having to go home and prepare a meal for their own families. Yeah, I, that, that is definitely, a, I think, a huge opportunity. I think people have gotten comfortable with that, you know, because you go to the grocery store and you see kind of the, the pack, prepackaged meals to go that you just pop in the oven or pop in the microwave that are, you know, they're made fresh. They're not the, the frozen meals. And so I think, like you said, that's going to be a huge opportunity. Um, I'm curious, one of the other like bullet points on the white paper under this was community events. And so I'm curious to know a little bit about that because obviously, you know, we're, we're on the tail end of the pandemic and everything's starting to reopen. So how are operators looking at those as opportunities for meals and revenue? So I think what we've talked to a lot of people in the past that have had success with this as kind of a marketing opportunity you know, whether aligning with other organizations in the community that might be having an event, might be having some, a taste of type of thing in their community. Um, and then the senior living operator participating in that as a way of getting their kind of name and brand out into the um, community at large. Mm -hmm. um, so it may not be a direct revenue driver in that way, but certainly as a marketing opportunity, I think we've heard of a lot of people who are doing that. And then um, in some instance, instances, actually hosting events on site, whether it's, um, you know, uh, people who are running for office or those types of things, um, maybe being able to host them or host different groups on site and provide, you know, like a catered meal at that time. Do are are people still dealing with the, some of the, the limitations around, you know, public access to communities? So I know, you know, right in the height of the pandemic, there were, you know, people were really truly on lockdown and there was a lot of push and pull, um, at least, you know, from some of the, the jurisdictions, you know, the, when I was on the operations side that we dealt with where they were, some places were very open very quickly and others were very hesitant. And so I'm curious if, if most of the, the people you talk to are starting to experience that openness, letting the public kind of general public come back into their communities? I think largely yes, but of course it just depends on the place in the community and what's going on locally. I think it varies widely depending on where you are, just like for anywhere in the right. world. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so, you know, there was this question in at the very end of the white paper, and I'm going to go ahead and ask it to you, um, you know, kind of what's next for senior living dining. So were there, was there anything that came out from, you know, the, the information here or even the, the dish event that um, kind of took you by surprise or that you were, you were excited to hear about as far as what's coming up maybe in the next 18 months, 24 months uh, that operators are looking at and wanting to do? Yeah, so I think one thing um, that was exciting to hear about is the use of technology to help with all of the challenges that operators are facing. Mm -hmm. And I think um, senior living is at kind of an interesting turning point right now because 
the pandemic forced a lot of operators to adopt technology quickly um, mm. for a lot of different purposes, including a lot of the resident facing communications platforms and those types of things, just because things were so hands-off for a while. Um, and so we asked a question about robotics um, mm. and how many communities were using robotics. And I think the response to the survey that we conducted was that 11% said they had used robotics in dining service delivery or had piloted them. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you and I heard from um, a couple people at the Navigator yeah. Summit who had piloted the use of robotics or were using them in their communities. And we heard that again at DISH where there's a lot of um, it may not be a full-blown implementation yet, but a lot of, you know, experimenting with how that can help. Yes. Um, and then other technologies, of course, like point of sale systems and getting up to speed from like an ordering and delivery standpoint where all of that is tech enabled has um, also come up a lot. But I think the, um, the robots are pretty exciting and I, I was surprised to hear, you know, how much they're actually in use and maybe yeah. that's a result of the pandemic. And again, that sort of foundation for technology that exists now that wasn't as present before. Yeah. One of the, it, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the robotics piece because one of the conversations I had kind of right after uh, your presentation at the summit was we were talking about robotics and using them. And I think the vendors have kind of realized that when, when I first started hearing about robotics, when I was on the operations side, it was the the return on investment was wasn't worth it because you were buying these you know tens of thousands of dollars worth of robots to to do the service well i know a lot of the vendors are starting to move towards a subscription service or a lease and that makes it much more uh, uh, you know approachable from especially from an expense standpoint when you look at i'm going to pay you know a few hundred dollars a month for for a couple of robots well that I have that in the budget because I don't have this server, you know, it kind of, there's a, almost a, a, a balance there in expense. So I think that's been a helpful piece of that as well. That's got people a little more willing to try it out for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think some of the interesting points that were made about um, the use of robotics were just, you know, rethinking kind of a, like how this device is not necessarily going to replace a person you know, a single person, but mm -hmm. all of the efficiencies that can be gained if the robot can help to bus dishes back to um, the dishwashing area or kind of pick up the slack where it may exist um, for employees so that they can then spend more time with the residents and yes. have face time with them versus running around. Yeah, no, I, I, yes, I remember those conversations and it, it absolutely makes sense, right? If you can have a, more touch points with the resident, I mean, we've been talking about resident engagement all year long. I mean, this just becomes another opportunity. Um, one of the things that came up was a, a conversation about how the residents would, were reacting to them. Um, what were your takeaways from, from those conversations? So most people um, who have, who I've talked to, who have actually used robotics in their communities say the residents do still want that face-to-face -face experience with um, the servers, with the people who work in the community, but they also do really like the robots <laughs> um, and they're just kind of fun to see how they work. And it's a little bit like, you know, 
the future is now. Um, right. And, you know, naming them and adopting them and just it's kind of a fun talking point um, to have in the community as well. Yeah, no, it, I, yeah, there's so much opportunity with the technology. I'm, I'm glad we were able to kind of talk a little bit about that. So, um, yeah, Liz, I we've covered all the trends in the white paper. This has been, you know, I'm so glad we were able to connect and, and talk a little bit more about this one on one. You know, presentation was amazing. Um, at this leadership summit and navigator. So, um, how can the listeners, uh, you know, follow the you know senior housing news? How can they, you know, be in touch with you and see all the great stuff you guys are putting out uh, on, on dining and senior housing in general? Um, well, the best way is to visit seniorhousingnews.com, and that's where you can get our daily news coverage of the industry. Um, and you can search around for dining coverage there. We also um, host webinars from time to time that are dining focused. So take a look at those. And then some of the um, some of the research that we've done in the past is available also on our website um, under reports. Awesome. Well, Liz, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time and kind of and going back through the white paper and all this great information. And uh, I appreciate you being here with us on Tips from Trestle. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So there you have it. Another one in the books. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. You can follow or direct message me on LinkedIn, where I'm always commenting and posting about food, hospitality, and leadership for the senior living industry. Or give me a follow on Twitter at ahfish or Instagram at Aaron H. Fish. And check out my company, Trestle Hospitality Concepts, at www.trestlehospitalityconcepts.com. I'm your host, Aaron Fish, and this has been another episode of Tips from Trestle.